was in the early hours of the morning on April the 15th. I was so scared because I was like, oh God, I don't think anyone's going to show up. And then we're, we've told everyone we're going to shut down Central London and then nothing happened. <laughs> and then the next morning when we started, because we marched from Hyde Park to um, Piccadilly Circus and just seeing a bunch of young people who actually just cared coming together. By the time we were in um, Piccadilly Circus, there was literally thousands of us. And it was just, it was almost like overwhelming of like, it was the first time that I've ever felt wonder and awe and true like, possibility of like change. Hello and welcome to the Common Ground podcast. In a time of ecological and climate crisis, of rising inequality and social injustice, it can all seem just a little bit overwhelming. We get it. And that's why Common Ground brings you the stories of those, driven by passion, who are striving fiercely to make our common home better for all who live here. Each week we'll hear from a new guest who will tell us all about the issue that spurred them to take action, to help inspire you to create positive and meaningful change in the world. I'm your host, Chess Fernley, geographer, environmentalist and concerned global citizen. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Common Ground podcast. My guest this week is the tour de force that is Days Agaji. Back in 2019, Days hit headlines for being probably the youngest candidate in the UK to stand as a member of the European Parliament at the 2019 European elections. This was something she was spurred on to do with the guiding hands of Extinction Rebellion's Roger Hallam. Join us as we discuss rising through the Extinction Rebellion ranks, the power of youth movements, and what it's like to be a black activist in an environmental movement that's historically been seen as anything but diverse. Days Agaji, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you. I'm very excited. <laughs> I would love it if we could just start and set the scene for us, Days. When and where was it that you started being interested in climate activism? I feel like the more I think about this question, the more I kind of like think a bit like become like get access of like memories that are earlier than I can even remember um so I think like why I think like the first instant of I feel like like the intrinsic need to care was at my home in Enfield we have this really really large tree which is like way taller than our house um and my mom she wanted to cut it down when I was younger and I remember just crying and I refused to move away from it to the extent that the guys who came to cut it actually said that they're not going to do it and left. <laughs> and I think that was like the first incident that I can actually like remember that I was like, yeah, I actually really cared for like a part of the environment. But I think when I started to realise that I can actually do something with this care um, was like in, in like my teens and like uni was when I first started to realise like, yeah, like we can actually do something about it. And especially once finding out about the climate crisis and, you know, the doom and gloom, I was like, I, I can't stand here and watch this, you know? And this like great injustice was happening to something I so cared about and I just couldn't. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> and what was that first step for you? Was that joining a local activism group? You know, was this school age? Was this university age? Did you join a society? like with the actual like activism I, <laughs> I was one of those like a little than all at once um so I kind of was to be honest when I found out about the climate crisis I was around like 16 17 and 
I was really I was really angry and I just couldn't believe this was all happening. And I go to college and school and no one told me about this. And I was like, our planet's dying and we're just all kind of walking slowly towards the edge and not even realizing. Um, so I went like a couple years of just actually just being really angry and being like, like here are all the issues, but like, am I doing something about it? Not really. <laughs> um, and then it was when I was in uni, um, my, I've, talk to my friend so deeply about like how like I feel like something needs to happen but never really doing it and she went to Extinction Rebellion's November protests when they like had the declaration of rebellion and she was telling me about how cool it was and I was like yeah 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 great stuff um, <laughs> and then she decided to like invite me to go to um, an introduction meeting that we could do it together because this was her first introduction meeting as well so it was like a really chilly Wednesday like late January last year and we went to the office and since then like everything's changed we went to the office for the meeting we were like this close to going to the pub instead <laughs> because we were like bundle of anxiety we were like oh I don't want to go in I don't want to go in and a lovely woman called Amy she came to the door and she was like oh do you guys need any help and like invited us in and since then like that meeting really changed things so I, I sat there with a bunch of people who kind of like got the anger and got the grief that I had felt by myself for so many years and then also had like the real like belief that they can change everything and it was like almost like mind-blowing because I never actually thought I could change anything yeah. I thought I could potentially aid in something else happening or some type of reform but to think of like as like a revolutionary and a radical change is like beyond me at that point and then after that I actually started working at XR like very quickly after it was it was about like about a week or wow. so I started working full time and and what was that first role that you you had with them what was my first role my first role was um outreach and logistics for April Rebellion uh for the youth site yeah, because at that point, XR Youth was just being started. Um, it was actually the first meeting that I went to. I met um, one of the co-founders of XR Youth. And he was telling me about this amazing idea of like, young people coming together. And I was like, oh, wow, this sounds great. But like, would it actually happen? <laughs> Within that couple of weeks, we started having like weekly XR Youth meetings in the London office and really starting to create like a community. And then uh, we spoke to Main XR about having our own site for April. And then we got given um, Piccadilly Circus. And that was the site that I did outreach and logistics for. That's incredible. And what was, what was April like? Because I wasn't there. So could you describe the feeling? I did a speech in Italy last summer. And I was talking about April. And the guy said, basically... Um, he said that whenever I talk about April, it must have been magical because there's a spark in my eye whenever I mention it. <laughs> Do you know this feeling of like actually coming together? And I think it was partly because seeing how hard everyone worked in making it happen and it actually worked. Yeah. Um, I remember the night before, it was probably like, it was in the early hours of the morning on April the 15th. I was so scared because I was like, oh God, I don't think anyone's going to show up. We started going, what if no one shows up? And then we're, we've told everyone we're going to shut down Central London and then nothing happened. <laughs> and then the next morning when we started, because we marched from Hyde Park to um, Piccadilly Circus and just seeing a bunch of young people who actually just cared coming together. By the time we were in um, Piccadilly Circus, there was literally thousands of us. And it was just, it was almost like overwhelming. Of, like, it was the first time that I've ever felt like 
wonder and awe and true like, possibility of like change and it it, it was beautiful it was beautiful <laughs> I was so sad not to be there but it did seem magical and it was done so well I think that is the thing about Extinction Rebellion and XR Youth is that it seems that everything is thought about and so much work goes in behind the scenes to pull off something like you know April and November and that kind mm. of thing when you told people that you were going to shut down part of central London what was what was the response I mean, what, did you tell your mum for example because I remember like <laughs> so my mum's always known I've been the weird one out of like all of my family my brothers like football I liked fencing they liked literature. I liked art. I was always the odd one. I she knew I loved the environment so much. And I told her about joining Extinction Rebellion um, when like in that January. And she was like, the 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 crazy people who keep trying to get themselves arrested. And I was like, yeah, like I was trying to explain it to her. And she just like couldn't understand it. And then I was like, mom, there's gonna be this really big protest in April that we're helping to plan. I was telling how excited I was. And she was just there like, oh God. And she just went, all right then. She did not believe me whatsoever. She just thought it was another one of my like strange pipe dreams. And then on like April the 15th, when it got like the news got out and it was all over the news, my mom called me. She went, is this you and your friends? <laughs> <laughs> yes we did it and she was just so kind of like wow and my mum's like never really been interested in things like actively like protesting and being on the street and stuff and even she came down for a bit and you know to see this like 50 year old Nigerian woman just like being in awe with her child who you know and having that like connection of like this is what I feel so passionate about and now you're with me it was it was so amazing and even like for example like I remember so my uh, logistics team for April, um, the youngest person was 13 and I was the oldest person. But apart from me, the oldest person was 17 years old and there was six of us working on it. And so we went into the wholesalers. Um, we couldn't buy super glue because you have to be 21 to buy super glue. <laughs> yeah. And we did like, I was like, oh, I'm, at that point I was like, um, I was, when we were buying it, I was still 18. So I was like, oh, I'm 18. I brought my passport and everything. They were like, no, you have to be 21. <laughs> Yeah, so we couldn't even buy like the, the most like necessary part of the rebellion in April. <laughs> so obviously like we're in a wholesaler and there's these people like watching a bunch of teenagers get very random products. <laughs> so he asked, he was like, what are you guys doing with all of this? And I was like, so there's just going to be this massive protest that's going to take over all of Central London, like totally like excited and everything, especially because this was like a couple of weeks to it. And then he just laughed. And I gave him like the, because at that point we had like these really little posters that were almost like a business card. And I gave it to him and I was like, you know, I hope to see you on the streets. And that's all I said. And I left. And I was just thinking on the 15th, I was like, imagine what they are thinking. You've, you've touched on so many great things there that I want to sort of circle back on. But, you know, one of the things that I really love and one of the principles of Extinction Rebellion is about um, regenerative culture and the whole self-care side of things. How has that influenced how you practice self-care sort of going forwards? Yeah, regenerative culture, self-care is only one part. It's literally like 
one fifth because <laughs> regenerative cultures is so more holistic and so much more holding you know it's talking about the self it's talking about the community it's talking about the way we interact the way we take care of each other at high moments of pressure and the way we take care of the earth so it's so much more than self-care it's, it's a bit better than self-care <laughs> a lot better than self-care yeah. but um so like on the day i think to be honest at that point i feel like do you know sometimes when you're you're, you're working so much of passion you don't actually realize how much you're working um and i remember a couple weeks before when we were working like really hard like some of the some people were like sleeping in the office because it was like go 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 and honestly that technically isn't regenerative but the way we take took care of each other during that time I think like is a very core aspect of regenerative cultures and I remember like on the day after seeing it all of us were like hugging each other and we were so happy um we also decided that it would be a pop-up site as well um because we say like how can we manage best with making something that's really amazing for young people to enjoy but also not us being the detriment of it so we decided to do a pop-up site even to the extent that we had teachers who volunteered the time to tutor people because it was like just before exam season. Um, and then at like the evening kind of times we'll pack up and then we'll go and support the other sites that would have lose numbers at that time. So I think that's like a really regenerative way of working that we learned to do during the rebellion. Like I remember like, so at XR, at the beginning of meetings, we do check-ins where it's not actually like, you know, like what have you been doing today? It's more of a, how are you doing? Um, like how are you coming to this meeting and this space within you know and it's very like the first time I did it I was like almost I was like why the fuck are they asking me how am I doing (laughs) I'm fine (laughs) but I was literally like learning and having that process of learning how to make yourself vulnerable and learning how to ask for help and be really like radically honest check-ins are like the best part for me because even some days it's really silly and it's like oh this happened this happened and this happened and I'm just like really psyched but then some days it's like you know, I'm really happy to be here with you, but I don't think my head's 100% here, you know, and that means that everyone in the meeting can meet you where you're at. Mm. And I think that's like a really beautiful part of, of XR and the way that we've learned to, you know, work and live and be with each other. Yes, I do. I do love it. And I, I because I, I do think that there is this sort of the thought about capitalism is like there's endless growth, there's endless, yeah. you always have to be doing something you know, you have to be productive. If you're sitting down, like, why are you wasting your time? And to sort of say, actually, no, I'm not okay. I can't keep on going like this. And to be able to have those conversations openly with other people who feel you and can appreciate and understand and respect those boundaries must be really, I don't know, like freeing. I don't know. What, what is that feeling? It really is. It's, it's, it's this feeling of just like actually being heard and not just being like listened to, but being heard and being understood, you know, and it, it re it, it's, it's life changing. Like we also have regenerative culture reminders before every meeting. And my favorite one is slow down your yes and return the task if you can't do it. So it's a really lovely way of you just being like, okay, like maybe last week you felt like you could do it. Then over the week, you've just been so bummed and you're just having like a really busy week or you're not feeling great. You can actually just go back and go, guys, I feel like I can't hold this any longer. Could I return this? And people are more than happy to help you. And it's like, I'm very scared of going into the traditional working world because I feel like I've just been so lucky to work in spaces like this that it's like I don't think I would function very well (laughs) in the traditional working world and something I really want to touch upon is 
the fact that you ran for the European elections. And I wanted to know a little bit about how you got to the point where you thought, right, I'm going to like put my name on the ballot paper. What was it? What what happened? Tell us, Daisy. So what even happened? So <laughs> so as I always talk, like exile is almost like a pseudonym for me for like it's for agency. And I learned how to really own my agency and own my voice and my own narrative and the story that I'm trying to tell, you know? And um, so I did like all of this like April stuff and it was really amazing. This was post April, we were just in the office, just hanging out. And then Roger <laughs> was talking about how there's an election coming up, all of this kind of stuff. And you know, like XR doesn't really get involved in like that kind of side of politics. So, he was chatting about it. Then he asked me, like, he was like, how do you feel about running for election? So I was like, like, I'm not against it. I was like, yeah, I think I said like, exactly. I think I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> and then um, obviously the thing of like having the campaign actually does cost money. Um, and I knew that I did not have that to fund. So I basically said like, bear in mind that the deadline was the next day. I was like, if you manage to find the money, like I'll be happy to do it. Um, lo and behold, Roger did pull through uh, <laughs> and he managed to find the money um, to basically um, pay for the the introduction fees which were like they were really expensive to be honest then it kind of just was like a whirlwind because the election wasn't meant to happen so um and it was just this kind of like crazy like run through of like okay so how are we gonna do this <laughs> and that's kind of like how it happened it was very but it was quite a spontaneous decision on what I've noticed within myself is like a lot of the time I do work like purely off like my gut and like my like I trust in my intuition quite well so like if intuitively I feel like yes this is something that I feel like capable of doing I feel like I have the support around me to do I will do it and that's kind of how it happened and I, I read in um, your profile on ID that it was it was never really your intention to win it was more about sort of standing I think you said as a vessel for everybody and you know especially people who are particularly marginalized I, I wonder what your thoughts were on on and where that came from yeah because like as politics you know I, I when I was younger I actually wanted to be a pollster um not a pole dancer a pollster because um, <laughs> everyone always asks that <laughs> I wanted yeah I was so such a geeky so statistics is like my thing especially at political statistics and I knew there was like literally like not a chance in hell <laughs> that I would win um and but it wasn't even about that it was about shaking up politics and making politics listen you know, and I think that that was what really I was coming, like where I was coming from, you know, and it was, it was mostly about making sure like the people that I worked with can be heard. Like I, I'm just so fortunate enough to work with so many different types of people and hearing their stories and hearing that they don't feel like politics represents them. I like, I grew up in poverty, so I know how that feels and I know how it feels to be marginalized and to be another. And even like my mum growing up, she told me just because you're black, you will be different, mm -hmm. you know, and having that and knowing how that feels it made me want to be there and be the person that has to be like with the microphone yelling for everyone else who feels like they aren't heard, you know? And that's why I see it as like me being a vessel because it, it wasn't particularly about me. And that's the thing, it, it wasn't about me. It was, a, it was like, if I can represent these voices, it would be my honor, you know? Because it was something that I, w I wanted to touch, touch upon is, you know, as, there's typically criticism, isn't there, of environmental movements for not being diverse enough. 
what what is your experience as someone from a, an ethnic minority of of that yeah because this is kind of like I've, I've always sat on this question and I feel like I have very different answers depending on what I think back to but like yeah. for example like I there's one thing that I really hate where people who aren't in these movements tell me how I'm meant to feel as a black woman mm. in you know XR and and that's annoying <laughs> really annoying actually because I'm happy to like paint it and say like it's not perfect and you know these people have been born into a toxic system that has like perpetuated these ideas of like white supremacy but you know a lot of these people like maybe if they make like a mistake a lot of it is just like ignorance and you know and I I know not every ethnic minority feels like they want to teach you know white people to understand but for me I'm okay with giving that time and giving that a little bit of empathy and compassion to it yeah like I think I work quite well in these spaces partly because I did grow up uh, like so when going into secondary school I actually ended up going to boarding school and I lived in Lincolnshire and Lincolnshire is a very white place <laughs> and I went to a very white school <laughs> so it's like me being the only black person in a very white space is not com like it doesn't make me feel like awkward because I'm quite used to it by this point yeah. and I can understand why it would but I think that there is like this way that we just need to listen to each other like actually listen and actually hear each other and figure out ways of working together because that is such a like intrinsic part of being like being a world and fighting issues because most of the time issues actually come from like miscommunication on like a you know interpersonal level and it's like if we actually start to you know like for example someone does a microaggression against me and I'm just explaining to them like you've said this this is what a microaggression is it's made me feel like this you know and most of the time they, they don't mean that you know and it's just like learning how to like speak to each other and be like open with each other when we do feel uncomfortable and when we do feel like boundaries have been crossed but also like you know for the people who at least the people who don't deserve it like not burn them on the cross because they said one thing that you know didn't feel right you know so it, it's quite difficult and I do think that like in the UK the the environmental sector is very white and it, it's one of those things where it's like just because the general like mainstream view of it doesn't mean there aren't ethnic minorities who are living very environmentally sustainable lives yeah. who aren't here fighting for the earth too like I always say like the OG environmental activists were the indigenous people who are fighting people off their land like yeah. <laughs> you know and that's way before the Greenpeace or the XRs of the world you know and it's like we need to start rebranding what environmentalism means. Because I know, like, in my childhood, my mum would have never called herself, like, environmentally friendly, but we reused everything. <laughs> Anything my mum could reuse, we reused. Like, I wore boy clothes for, like, half of my life because I had an older brother. Those were my hand-me-downs. <laughs> you see what I mean? So it's, like, these ways of, of living that are actually environmentally friendly. A lot of ethnic, like, minorities do that. And maybe because they're not, shouting on the street doesn't mean they're not doing anything yeah no definitely you so, so interesting I guess that comes down to sort of a question about people feeling scared to almost admit that they're environmentalist yeah because it, it's this kind of like once you say that everyone kind of thinks you sit on this like a uh, higher moral ground and you think you're so much better but yeah. it's like no like 
I'm not perfect and I'm not trying to claim I am and I'm not trying to claim I'm better than anyone else but probably I'm not and probably there is someone who does not see themselves in the environmental activist whatsoever who actually lives a more eco-friendly life than me you see what I mean and it's just kind of this kind of like we should all have like humility and just be like yeah we're not perfect and you know but not perfect doesn't mean you shouldn't do anything about it you shouldn't try it's a really interesting balance, isn't it, between empowering people feel like there's a sort of a moral obligation to be acting in a way that's good for the earth, but at the same time, it's not knocking people down when people don't make decisions that are necessarily in those best interests. You know, if, if somebody's trying and they're doing their best, like, is, is that not enough? Yeah, I think it's the way that we do it. And I think it's it's not this kind of like, there's a lot of blaming and shaming outside in the environmental movement where we kind of we blame this person or we shame that person for doing this. And it's like, where does that leave us? That leaves us pointing fingers at each other and feeling bad about each other. We should try and think more holistically without like opinions. Like for example, like sustainable fashion, it's expensive. Like the only people who aren't going to tell you it's expensive is people with full-time jobs, but forgetting that people live on zero hour contracts, people don't have income, people are on benefits. And it's like, if, you know, someone needs to go to Primark to buy that white t-shirt that their child needs for school, they're going to do it, you know? And it's like, we should have compassion because it's not about this individual action. It's about the system that makes them have to do that. You see what I mean? So the system has made it really hard for us to be kind to the environment. Yeah. It's it's a game that's stacked against us. The odds are stacked against us. So this is kind of why it's like, you know, individual actions, I think they're important, especially for morale and feeling like you're doing something, you know, and learning how to own your agency and hound that, you know. But at the same time, we need to focus on the government to start like changing these systems that are so destructive. And I guess because that that sort of ties into this whole eco-anxiety I think as well feeling like it's out of your control so how much have you been affected by eco-anxiety <laughs> lots <laughs> I'm, I'm already like a bundle of worry and anxiety without the environment to play the part yeah. of it. you know um I think yeah I think eco-anxiety is a really big thing for me um yeah I I, I already have like issues with like struggling with stress so you know just I remember like really vividly so like I had exams and I was trying to like take a moment out of XR and rest and have a regen break but then I found out the Amazon was burning and all I could do all day was think about how the Amazon is burning and I'm trying to sit here doing nothing and feeling such guilt about it you know and even like having that moment it's it's really about being kind to yourself and understanding your own capabilities you know and I sat there and I had to like talk myself down and become really good at this. So I went, Days, we know you care. We know you love the planet so much. And we know you're thinking of all those indigenous people who live there, who their homes are being burnt down right now. I wish you could fly to the Amazon and stop the fires with my hands alone, <laughs> but I can't. I can't do that. But what can I do? And I wrote down a little list of things I could do and then completed the list and that made me feel so much better you know and although those things may have not had like any impact whatsoever those things one made me feel like I could like hold my agency again and made me stronger so when I have to go outside and you know help people and be part of this great amazing movement I feel like you know I have the backing of of you know the people that I'm trying to help you know 
And I, I do think it is about like being really kind to yourself and understanding your own capabilities, but also finding a way that works for you. Like, for example, like I know loads of people love things like meditation, journaling and stuff like that. Me, I'm a little bit of a workaholic and I actually find working to be really regenerative for me. Yeah, I think getting that task done to actually help me cope with my stress far more because I feel so relaxed and I've done everything. But if I don't do anything and I'm like, I'm going to give myself time, all I do is think about all the things I'm not doing and how everything is like becoming more and more and more and I'm not actually relaxing. So it's kind of just finding your own way of working that is regenerative to you. Like we also talk about like regenerative cultures, but it's like cultures with an S because there's so many different types of way of practicing a regenerative culture. I love that idea. I love it. And maybe people are surprised to hear that work works for you but if it works for you then it works for you yeah and like you know for some people it may not work and that's okay you know and it's just like learning how we can work with ourselves and learning how we can work with others something that I just wanted to touch back on um is the age thing because uh, what I feel that these past few years have shown is like the power of the youth and I don't know whether you had any thoughts about um the youth opinion has been ignored or the power has not been appreciated and whether there's kind of been a bit of a I don't know resurgence in appreciating the fact that young people do and can have power to change things and achieve things yeah I I, I definitely think so like I always say ageism is the one of forgotten oppression (laughs) because it really is they tell you oh you don't know what you're talking about especially like during the election I through the the lovely bits of hate mail that I got um a lot of it was like about my race but a lot of it also was about my age and they're like you don't know anything you don't know anything what do you think you know that you know that someone like Boris Johnson doesn't know all of this and I think it was this kind of like there there are so many different theories to why this happens like uh one of the ones that I, I feel like resonates more with me is like the idea of like the wounded inner child so in adults there are child children who who like were like us and had this fire in their heart when they were our age and then throughout like years of people telling them they're not good enough that they need to wait for their turn you know they are the future Mm. that they waited and then now someone like me comes up from behind them going no listen to me (laughs) and then they're like jog on it's my turn now I've waited for this you know, and it's this kind of like, uh, like this, this child being so wounded by, by the world that has been so awful to them, you know, and I do think there is a way that we need to learn how to work with adults and to respect each other, like as equals, I think young people and bear in mind, I'm 20, so I know I count as young people, but like some actual like young people I'm talking about I've worked with 12 year olds who are like absolutely amazing who I I would give them keys to parliament any day (laughs) any day of the week (laughs) you know and it's like they they really they really do have the answers you know but we just actually need to listen you know and like let's say like they don't have the skills but then that's where we come in we become aids to young people who have these amazing minds that haven't been shut up by it being so repressed so why can't we just give them the power and be there to help them and hold them within that? Young people do have this fire inside of them to go out and achieve things. What would your advice be for a young person today who wants to get involved in climate activism? 
I think obviously I'm like join XR, XR youth, gang gang, great. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I, I think it, it's, I think for personally for me, it was actually recognizing how much power I do hold, you know, and and, and we're taught, especially like people who are under 18, you're taught that like in politics, you, you shouldn't be heard, you're too young, your ideas aren't developed enough, you know, and it's like, it does really squash you down but when you actually learn that like right like what I, I I'm learning and the way I feel and the way I see the world is important you know and I can help in creating the change that I want to see for my future and having that level of like really understanding like the power you hold as a young person I think everything switches from then and I say like do it like go out there and do it like think big dream big and then if you need adults find adults who can meet you where you're at um meet your needs not what they want to give you but what you need of them you know and that's really especially when I'm talking to adults I'm always like you know you want to help young people like listen to them and don't give them what you feel like you have to offer give them what they actually need you know it's fab advice just to sort of bring things sort of slightly into a close, I wondered if we could sort of do a little quick fire round. <laughs> do you have a personal hero? Ew, my mum. <laughs> I wish I wasn't, I wish I had someone really cool to say. My mum is amazing. Like, I feel like my kind of like drive and energy and like real hope and optimism comes from my mum. My mum had such a difficult childhood and like statistically she should have failed at life but she's managed to come up so much bigger and so much better and honestly I'm so proud of my mom um and she makes she's proud of me I hope (laughs) she's really proud of me and I I think she's amazing and yeah I feel like there should be more mums like that (laughs) what about um a favorite phrase motto mantra do you live by anything in particular own your agency. I feel like I say that a lot, but own your agency. Love it. And what about a key takeaway from your journey or what you've achieved? I think it's like actually just being like on a, unapologetically you. I, I think a lot of the time we're told, you know, speak like this, change to fit like this. Or the adults won't listen to you if you don't read like this, mm. you know? And it's like, you see what I mean? And just, just, just be yourself within that and people can see your authenticity and see how much you care and it will just work out. Yeah, I love it. Days, it's been so fantastic. Thank you so much. Ah, oh, guys, what an episode. How incredible is Days? She has the most amazing energy and it was such an honour to hear her talk about her experiences and I was particularly touched by this idea that Days raised about agency and owning your agency and the thought that we can have influence and that we can stand up with confidence and take part in discussions and conversations regardless of factors like age or gender or ability or ethnicity which may make us think that we should hold back and I'm always as ever keen to hear your thoughts and takeaways so please don't hesitate to get in touch with us on Instagram search Common Ground Co. And just as a final call out, we are always looking for young writers who want a platform to write their stories of people and planets. So if this sounds like you, please do drop us a line. So until next week, it's been a pleasure. Thank you all so much for listening and see you soon.